welcome into That's the Truth. I am your host, Jay Gallegos, and I'm excited to share with you today's very special guest. I'm honored to have such an amazing guest on with us every single month who are willing to provide their experience and share with us their personal journey in life and leadership. I find their stories to be very inspiring. So just before I present our special guest today, let me remind you that our goal is to get one step closer in becoming who God has created us to be so we can be effective and make an impact in every area of our life. I want to say thank you so much if you have already subscribed, if you shared the, the podcast on social media. I really appreciate the support. It truly means the world to me, and it helps make the podcast more accessible for others. We want to encourage and inspire others with every conversation that we have on this platform. And if you are new with us, we post a new episode bi-weekly, a teaching the first Friday of every month, followed by a guest episode. And today is a very special episode because we get to talk to a very special guest. I'm excited to bring to you a very insightful conversation. I had the opportunity to speak with Joe Amra. If you don't know who Joe is, he is a very, very special man. He's the author of multiple books like Understanding Jesus, Story in the Skies, Get Off Your Ash, and his most recent book, Jesusly, Embracing the Outcast, the Outsider, and the Overlooked. He's also a pastor, a podcaster. He has served as a television host and co-host for a number of years. Additionally, he is the executive director and founder of Hope for Liberia in West Africa. He and his wife, Karen, reside in Ontario, Canada. In the show description, you'll, you'll be able to find all of the links where you can connect with Joe Amaral and where you can find his books. So once again, it's a pleasure to bring to you my conversation with Joe Amaral. Well, hey, Joe, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for jumping on the podcast. We're, we've been looking yeah. forward to having you and we're so excited to have you here with us on That's the Truth. Hey, man, thank you so much for, for the invitation. You know, I always appreciate the opportunity to share what God is doing, man. So thank you for having me. Yeah, like I said, we've been so excited. And I must say that um, whenever you accepted the invitation, I was ecstatic. I, I was very, very excited. And I'm excited for all of them. I'm excited to talk to people, first of mm -hmm. all, about Jesus. And especially when, when someone else is doing an amazing work in the kingdom and to build a kingdom and, and do it so gracefully the way that the way that you've done it as well. Um, I, I get it. I get very excited about it. And I've been looking mm -hmm. forward to this conversation. And on that on that note, I remember when you first wrote Understanding Jesus from a cultural perspective, um, understanding Jesus, mm -hmm. cultural insights into the words and deeds of Christ. Uh, yeah. and, and if I'm not mistaken, you wrote that in 2012. And I remember around that time, mm. uh, is that correct? About 2012? 2011. Yeah, really close. 2011. So actually, yeah. I found out about the book later on. It was a couple years okay. after the fact because I was getting ready for um, an Easter message. And it was an Easter Sunday message that I was preparing for. And I was doing some research and I came across that and I completely went off tangent and I started digging into your videos, <laughs> digging into your work, digging into understanding <laughs> Jesus. I was like, oh man, I'm, I'm having to start over. I got to start over. Like I'm learning <laughs> all over again. And yeah. I'm like, I, yeah, I had to start that message over again. Um, but <laughs> I, I completely fell in love with your work. I completely fell in love with everything that you were doing, all of the facts and, and all of the That's history. Awesome. So we're going to dive into that a little bit. You have a new book that just came out, Jesusly, tremendous yeah. book, The Act 
of be of being like Jesus. Mm-hmm. I have it here with me today. Uh, the act of being like Jesus and uh, the very, very first one. And there were some other works in between those as well. So we're going to get into mm-hmm. some of that. But before we do, sure. I want to talk to Joe Amaral. Who was Joe Amaral prior to becoming an author? How did you even begin to writing books? Give us a little mm-hmm. bit of the background there. Yeah, Joe Amaral was just your, your um, I don't know, typical first century, sorry, first century, first generation uh, immigrant kid. You know, my, my family came to Toronto from, from Portugal when I was two years old. Uh, grew up in a, in a pretty rough part of the city, you know, and a lot of, you know, things come with that kind of a lifestyle. And, you know, was really into the rock and, and the metal scene and, you know, wanting to be cool <laughs> and, you know, doing things that I thought was cool so that I would be accepted. And we were chatting a little bit before we, we started taping today how in 1987, I was actually introduced to a Christian, you know, rock band, a concept I'd never heard of before. And there was these guys called Striper in the 80s, you know, yeah. with, with long hair and tight pants and dangling cross earrings and metal solos. And I'm like, what in the world is this? And, and to make a very long story short, you know, I bought their vinyl records and I was reading the lyrics and they just convicted me of my sin. And I gave my heart to Jesus as a 17 year old, you know, um, in my in my bedroom, you know, and, and that put me on a journey towards serving God. And after I got married, I went to, to seminary, you know, to Bible college and pursued a life of, of pastoring and did that for for many years and just, you know, loving people and serving God. And then the big call came when I went to Israel in 2002, and we'll get into that in a little bit and everything changed from there. But that's, that's Joe Amaral in a nutshell, you know, just just a regular kid looking, you know, to make his way in this world. And, you know, Jesus got holding me by the scruff of my neck and pulled me into a new direction. And I'm glad to be here today to talk about it. He definitely got your attention, didn't he? He did, man. Who would have thought by by the band Striper? That's that's incredible to me because typically you hear the the crazy transformations, and we and God can do anything, and, and we sure. understand that. We acknowledge that. You know, we we hear uh, testimonies like, "Well, I got baptized, you know, I got filled with the Holy Ghost, and uh, from one day to another, you know, like I'm I'm doing this now, and that led me to the next thing." But you know, just being convicted by something like that is completely outside the box. I I love it. I love to hear about it. And um, as, as you mentioned, you've, you've had some trips to Israel, you, uh, over 50. Are we over 50 now? Almost, dude. I'm at 48 right almost. now, and I'll hit 49. I'll hit 50 in January, so almost there. <laughs> Man, that is, that is definitely a huge milestone. I, I think I know maybe a handful of people that have gone maybe once or twice, but 48 – <laughs> that is tremendous. And, and, and I know that being exposed to the culture, being exposed to um, the, the access you've had to the people there. And, and I know that you have brought so many insights and, of course, you include them in your book. Mm-hmm. So what was it about the first trip? Take me back to the number one. So you're at 48. Let's go back to number one. Yeah. To that first trip to Israel. Uh, what was it that inspired you to write books? Did, it, did the idea come from there? What was that sure. experience like? How, how did we get there? Sure. Well, in 2002, I had just, you know, um, stepped down from the church where I was pastoring. No, no reason, nothing happened, nothing bad, nothing, just, hey, just felt like it was time to go and didn't know what to do next. And I had kind of um, uh, an acquaintance who, who kept bugging me, you know, saying, hey, you need to go to Israel. Like, you should go to Israel. 
I was like, well, I, I don't really have a desire to go. And it was like $5,000. This is in 2002. And I just come off of pastoring a small church of 50 or 60 people, you know, and I said, I, I don't have the money to go. Uh, there was something called the Intifada, which was the Palestinian uprising. You know, there was four or five suicide bombings a week in Jerusalem. I mean, wow. there was just no way I wanted to, to go there. Right. And, and this person kept on insisting, saying, I really think you need to go. And I said, well, I, I can't afford to go. And they said, well, we'll cover everything if you'll go. And I was like, oh, wow. Uh, two weeks later, without exaggeration, two weeks later, I'm on an airplane flying to Tel Aviv for the first time, not knowing what in the world I'm going to run into, not knowing what to expect. And it sounds so like dumb now 21 years later when i got there i remember going wow there's a lot of jewish people here you know <laughs> like this is <laughs> you know wow they they live here yeah. you know and after spending a few yeah. days there you're like jesus lived here like with people like yeah. this who spoke like this who acted like this who ate like mm -hmm. this who worshiped like this and after about two weeks of being in the country you know and even finding out that you know his name wasn't Jesus 2,000 years ago. You know, it was a Hebrew name, Yeshua. And I said, what? I don't even know his name. I don't know him. Like, I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but I don't know Yeshua, the Messiah. Oh, my Lord. I've spent years in seminary wow. and pastoring. And what have I been telling these people? And just this desire and conviction to want to get it right. Like, who is the Jesus of history? Like, who was he? Not not who was Hollywood made him out to be or westernized, you know, culture, but who was he yeah. when he lived here in this country, right here in Jerusalem? And I'll never forget, Jay, standing on top of the Mount of Olives, looking down at the old city of Jerusalem for the first time, and just kind of being captivated by it, right? It's like a sweeping shot you see in a documentary, and there's the old city walls, right, in the southern steps, and the eastern gate, and the tombs of the prophets, and where the temple used to stand. And it hits me, and it's like, Jesus was Jewish. Holy, like, mm. what does that do to my mm. theology and my understanding of this person that I've been serving and telling others about? So when I came back home, I was on a mission. You know, I, I don't I don't care what my seminary taught me. I don't care what my church tells me. Who does, what does history tell me? Who does history tell me Jesus was? And so as I began to look through the scriptures, you know, from that first century Hebraic Jewish perspective, a lot of things began to come to my understanding, kind of like you said, when you read the book, all of a sudden, well, the wows that were for you, they were just as powerful for me because I was experiencing them as I yeah. was studying and researching. Right. And I'll, mm -hmm. I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll never forget that moment where understanding him in his culture made all the difference in the world. So I, I often say now, I preach all the time all around the world, and I love to wake up the church. And they say, let me tell you three things you didn't know about Jesus. Ready? And they're like, yeah. So number one, he wasn't a Christian. Oh, yeah. Number two, he never went to church. And number three, he never yeah. read the New Testament. He didn't celebrate Christmas. Wow. He didn't celebrate Easter. And people are like, what? I said, think about it. <laughs> All those yeah. things came later, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but they didn't exist. So who was he at that time? And that's kind of how I start the, the, the presentation and the conversation. And maybe even now there's somebody listening going, Jesus was what? Yeah, I mean, a Christian is somebody yeah. who follows Jesus. So was he a Christian? No. And that's kind of like a comedic way to open up a very difficult door for some people, right? 
Absolutely. So yeah. great way. So th- that's what happened after my first trip, Jay, and uh, I've never looked back. Yeah, you know, whenever I start going into details and facts like this, especially the ones that I found in Understanding Jesus, you also include a lot of facts uh, in a different way in the new book, Jesusly. But whenever I start looking at in-depth facts like that, I start geeking out because I love history, <laughs> and yeah. especially history of the Bible. And then it's amazing to me. And then that just describes the power of the word of how so many different people can have an interpretation you can have a, a, a revelation of what it means, an understanding of what it means, but it never gets old. Mm. It never gets old. So I, I totally geek out whenever uh, I'm going through this topic like this, these type of facts and understanding the the, the underlining things or the things that are kind of hidden behind the, 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 the words there without understanding the culture. So mm-hmm. when you when you think about the understanding of the Bible. And how Jesus changed, uh, and 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 your understanding of the Bible and the understanding of Jesus prior to going there, what exactly changed in you in in how you understood it uh, over the mm-hmm. years after experiencing Israel, the Hebraic culture? So, sure. at the experience that you have, how has that changed for you personally? Well, one of the things I learned early on, and this is kind of how it helped me to focus on what I needed to was. No, so the, the Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us, meaning they weren't yeah. writing to Canadians. They weren't writing to Americans. They weren't writing to Westerners. You know, Matthew, Mark, and John, especially as Jewish men, are writing to fellow Jews. So they're writing in a way that their countrymen would understand. And what I learned was that certain things, many things, are actually omitted from the recollections not because they were important, but because they weren't necessary. The example I give is mm-hmm. if I said to you, hey, let's have breakfast together on Christmas. Well, you're not going to show up June 5th, right? You know when Christmas says, right. I don't have to tell you. Exactly. So when John says, for instance, you know, Jesus came to the temple on the last and great day of the feast. Well, everybody in that time period knew it meant the eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the great celebration. But we don't know that. But John doesn't include it. He's like, that's going to insult the intelligence of my audience. They're Jews. Of course they know that's when he came. Right. So I used to tell people that my job was to learn what was not in the Bible and teach it to you. Not because it wasn't important, because it wasn't necessary. It was just common practice. It was just common knowledge. And so, you know, when I would read these kinds of statements and say, oh, you know, they don't tell us why the crowd was at the Eastern gate. It just says that all of Jerusalem showed up. Well, what were they doing there? How did they know to be there? Like that, that's an odd thing to say. And then you begin to dive into it and go, Oh, this is what happened four days before Passover. Ah, no wonder they were there. So what it's done for me is to ask questions. You know, why is Jesus stoop twice to write in the ground? Why does he say he took him to Caesarea Philippi? Why not just say he went to the North? Oh, Caesarea Philippi was a pagan altar. Oh, so Understanding what they didn't say was equally important as to what they did say, because there was volumes of information in that. So that's kind of my, that's how I geek out. Why do they say that? Why don't they say that? And that's where I I kind of dig in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I want to get into the context and culture a little bit. You kind of started touching that line a little bit. So what exactly or what has stood out to you the most in how cultural context impacts our understanding of people and of the Bible, and how does that come into play? Mm-hmm. I mean, this huge, we can we can misinterpret or misunderstand somebody if we don't know their culture. 
um, I mean, I think you're, you're younger than I am. And back maybe 20 something years ago, there was a movie called My Big Fat Greek Wedding. I'm sure you've heard of it, right? Yeah. And yeah. it's this crazy movie of the Greeks and the white Americans and how their cultures kind of clash when they come together and they misunderstood them. They thought they were loud and obnoxious. They thought they were rude because they were quiet. But it's just it's just who you are as people. I don't know what your background is. Mine is Portuguese. What, what's your background, Jane? Yeah, I'm Hispanic. Uh, my parents are from Mexico. Yeah, I was born and raised here. Okay, so I'm born in Portugal, but raised here. So I, I would think there'd be some similarities in our culture. Like there's a lot of like familial things. Everybody yeah. gets together, lots of food, it's loud and stuff. And if, if you, and my, my wife came from a very quiet, reserved family, you know, who ate with forks and knives and put napkins on their laps. And I was like, somebody pranking me right now who actually eats like this you know <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't understand the culture you can misunderstand their intentions and why they say things certain ways and you know i was always taught in seminary to go back to the greek go back to the hebrew you know the meaning of the words but i think you have to go even beyond that and and the example i give is you know if i said to somebody you know i was really in a pickle the other day you know, most yeah. people would understand that I was in a tough spot or in a predicament. But in a thousand years from now, if somebody gets this podcast, Jay, and they say, oh, Joe said he was in a pickle. And a pickle is a 21st century word. It's a cucumber that's gone through a process. And so dry emerald somehow went inside of a pickle. Well, knowing the original word isn't enough. It's understanding how it was used in that culture, in that context. And so right. even even that, understanding the culture, the way words were used and what they meant, that's played a big part of my understanding or my re-understanding of many of the stories and events of the life of Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel that the lack of knowing the context of the culture, uh, the lack of knowledge, or maybe just we haven't been exposed enough to it, do you think that that has led us to maybe misinterpret the Bible in some cases? Yeah, I mean, in, innocently, absolutely. You know, ignorance in 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 a kind way. I'm not being mean because we have yeah, misunderstood. Yeah, we have misunderstood things, and if we misunderstand them at their base, the longer we believe that thing, the more off we become. It's like when you launch a rocket and yeah. you're aiming at one thing. If you're off even just a little bit of takeoff, the further in time you go, the further you're going to miss the mark of where you were supposed to go. So uh, I think a lot of um, uh, interactions we see with Jesus and women in the Bible, Jesus and the Pharisees in the Bible, a lot of those parables, we misunderstand them. And because we don't know what they actually meant 2,000 years ago to a Jewish audience, we're like, oh, this kind of fits the narrative that I know about. I grew up in this environment, so that that must be applicable to me. And so although we can surely you know, add on personal, um, personal meaning we can't do that at the cost of the original meaning. So when we replace the right. original meaning with our culture, that's where we we kind of go off. But if we say, oh, this is what Jesus meant. This is what he was saying to that specific person or that group of people. Oh, wow, that yeah. also applies to me too. And then we add on to that. That's where there's safety. The danger is, is when we replace totally the original meaning with our experience. And then we just kind of go way off. And that explains why there's so much diversity in the church and the belief system is because we've missed the original intent from 2000 years ago. Absolutely. And the reason why I wanted to go there is because whenever I first read Understanding Jesus, you know, starting there, mm. there was a lot of things that I came across that were like, wait a minute, I was taught different. 
I, I was told different. So then I started digging in. I don't take anything for face value. I start asking questions and I get to the bottom of yeah, it. Okay, good. so what is it? So then whenever I start going in and I start digging into what you were sharing, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. That makes complete sense. So ever since then, I've been a complete advocate for your work. Everybody that comes over to my house, honestly, you saw me pull the, the book out right from behind my shelf here. I mean, I have it here. <laughs> when people come over, have a cup of coffee mm -hmm. with me, they start asking me about books. Then we start having a conversation about whatever interest they have about that book. And that one has definitely come up several times. And I've, I've, wow. um, I've shared it with other people. I've recommended it. And I've said, hey, look, if you teach and you preach, you're talking to young people, you're talking mm -hmm. to adults, young adults, whoever it may be, any form of teaching or preaching the word, you have got to get your hands mm -hmm. on this book. You have to, you have to have a good understanding from the insights that, that Joe Amaral shares because it'll change mm -hmm. you. And that's exactly what it did for me. It completely changed my life, my perspective in the way awesome. that I teach, that I preach and that I share Jesus because I, I could understand it. It exactly what the book title is, understanding Jesus. I got to yeah. do that. You know, it's, it's awesome. You know, it's always humbling and very touching when you hear, you know, something you've done is impacting people that that's why we write, right? We want to, we want to impact people, but it, it's so amazing to hear people come away and saying, wow, I've totally misunderstood that passage, you know, and I always wondered why this would happen in my life. And I was taught that it meant this. And then when you kind of come back around to the original meaning, you're like, oh yeah, that does make more sense. It does fit. And, you know, I, I tell people everywhere I go, it's important to understand his original intent. Uh, because if we miss that innocently, like I said, we just, we tack on stuff that really was never meant to be there. And we miss what was actually there. Right. What would you say would be the one of the most common things with your experience? What is the most common thing that you would see that has been misinterpreted? Wow. How long is the podcast? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got time. I got time. I mean, of course, there's so many things, you know, um, j just right. culturally and, you know, re in regards to the feasts and the holy days and all those things. But something that I can share personally that really impacted me was just yeah. about 14, 14 years ago, my, my, my father died. He had a, you know, a stage four brain tumor and it was just, I'm sorry. you know, incurable. And it was just an awful experience to watch this healthy, vibrant, you know, faith-filled man of God just deteriorate and then die right before my eyes. And I remember that just really deflating my faith and taking it out of me. And anyone who's lost anybody who's suffered loss, you know, I'm sure that they could relate to the disappointment that you feel in that moment. And it was so bad, Jay, I couldn't go to church for about six months, you know, and I was on television by then. Yeah. I was already yeah. writing, you know, I already was making a name, you know, for, for the ministry. And we would walk into a church and they'd sing, how great is our God? I'm like, no, no, I, I can't sing that right now. I just know. Yeah. And then... I haven't talked about it in a while, so I forget the exact reference, but there's there's the story of where uh, a little boy is troubled by a spirit and the disciples try to, you know, cast it out and they can't. And so then Jesus comes and casts out yeah. the spirit and he says, don't you understand if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could speak to that mountain, right? And, right, and everybody right. takes C. If you have a little bit of tiny faith, you know, you could, you could move the mountain and... So after six months of not being able to preach, I was, I finally decided to go back on the road in my very first church. 
I shared with the pastor over dinner that my dad had died of, of cancer. And the guy looked at me and he quotes that verse and he says, oh, if your father had a little more faith, he'd still be alive today. And I, I you know, I just, I'm going to be honest. I wanted to reach across the table and just, you know, extend the right hand of fellowship, mm. as they say. And I was like, right. I was like, Lord, that better not be what you're saying in that verse. Because as my father was dying, as he was unconscious, if he would sing worship songs, he would begin to hum mm. along and like he just wanted to worship you. So how could anybody say he didn't have enough faith? And after a little bit of yeah. research, I'm like, oh, my goodness, we've totally misunderstood what Jesus said. Because when you go back to there Hebrew and Aramaic, he doesn't say if you have faith the size of a mustard seed. Because if he was referring to size, there's smaller seeds, right? There's a poppy seed, there's a sesame seed. Yeah. So why did he pick a mustard seed if it's not the smallest of all the seeds that were available to them? The Aramaic says that he said, if you have faith that lives like a grain of mustard seed. And I began to research what that meant. And a mustard seed is part of the weed family. And it just, it grows everywhere. You know, you could just scatter it to the wind. It'll, it'll land amongst big boulders. And I've seen these even in Israel. You'll see boulders, Jay, that have actually moved because the mustard seed is so tenacious and so strong. It'll literally move a mountain out of its way. And I said, that's what he meant. It's not the size of your faith that determines the miracle or the outcome. And say, Lord, I'm just going to have faith in you no matter what mountain or rock gets thrown on me i'm just going to grow and whatever happens happens but i'm not going to lose my faith in you and dude that that set me free because i've had so many people at my meetings come up to me and say you know my, my my spouse died or my child died and and people told me it was because i didn't have enough faith and so i broke the cycle around them and allowed the enemy to come in and i'm like you know and then they've been carrying the guilt or the burden of that loved one being gone. And they said, hearing this is, has set me free today. And, and, and that's, this is the beauty of, of studying the cultural roots of, of Jesus' life. Like, it doesn't make you any more saved. It doesn't give you any more brownie points in heaven. The story's still the story. It just gives you more understanding. And in my, in my experience, it gives you proper understanding so that you can live out a life of faith and service to God. So that would be a personal you know, example that I would, I would share with you. Thank you for sharing that and being very open and vulnerable with that. And first of all, I must say, I'm sorry that you were told that. Uh, I'm sorry that you yeah. had to experience that. And um, I have a feeling that you're probably not the only one that has ever gone through an experience no. like that. And, and that just proves the point of how important it is to really understand the word, to interpret the word the way that it should be. And with as much knowledge as we can and as much background and history as we possibly can. So thank you for sharing that. And one of the things yeah. that you've mentioned in your podcast before, because you do have a phenomenal podcast, you, you start talking about the, about the book and you start sharing about your experiences in Israel and you, you share so many great insights, some that are included mm. in the book, some that are not. But to, to mm. be able to hear you describe that, uh, you do that so, so gracefully, and, and I love it. Thank you, man. But one of the things that you mentioned, and I believe it was a conversation that you had with, with your wife, Karen, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. And this was the yeah. comparison of a Hollywood Jesus versus the, mm. the, the Jesus behind a clear cultural lens. Can we talk about that? Yeah, you know, every time you see a movie, I mean, there's been a couple recently, and the new series, um, 
oh my goodness, what, what's the new the new faith series about the life of Jesus? Chosen, the chosen. I mean, they, chosen. they really get chosen. a lot of things right. I mean, they've done a phenomenal job uh, of looking at culture. And they actually got a guy who's Middle Eastern to play Jesus. Thank God. Uh, but, you know, you, you watch Jesus of Nazareth, King of Kings, all these great epics or stories of Jesus. It's always the same. He's always got a British accent, blonde hair, and blue eyes. <laughs> no, I'm like, I've yeah. not met a Jewish person who looks or talks like that in Israel. What are you talking about? Right. And, right. You know, I mean, Jesus of Nazareth, Robert Powell, who, you know, played played the role I mean, growing up in my household, we had a big poster of, of his face on our wall. And every time I would pray, that's the face I would see. And I would hear this, this beautiful King James type of voice coming out of his mouth with that lovely British accent. And that's how I saw him. And then you get to Israel and everybody is, hey, hey, and they're speaking all this. They're totally different. You know, and Jesus wow. is always very polite and proper in the movies. And you go to the Middle East, you're like, eh, not so much. They're a very straightforward kind of people, very pushy, but just very much who they are. And this is who he is. So seeing the Hollywood version of Jesus versus the historical version of Jesus, even that, even like I said, his name, Jesus. You know, in my research, I discovered that the letter J is just over 500 years old. So before that, it was always the Y sound, you know? So Joseph right. would have been Yosef, right? I mean, Javier. Yeah. I mean, all, all the J sounds would have been that Y sound. So up until 500 years ago, everybody called them Yeshua. But then in the last 500 years, we've made the switch. And again, it's been slow, but we've been drifting away from who he was, who he historically was. And over time, his teaching, we got a little bit further away from that. And, you know, it's where we are today. So I, I'm thankful that I get to play a very small role in trying to help people come back to that biblical, historical, cultural Jesus. Yeah, and I, that's great. And I love how how you, you break that down because it's very easy to understand. And, and you put a very practical comparison versus what's actually true. And that's something that people can relate. And it's like, okay, well, this is where I get it wrong. And this is what it actually is. And then that alone just simply opens up your eyes to, to, to really asking more questions and to being mm -hmm. receptive of, um, of, of what's to come. So I want to talk about Jesus Lee, the new book, uh, mm. phenomenal book. Uh, I, I read it and I, I just couldn't stop highlighting. I couldn't stop uh -huh. highlighting and it's very easy to read because it's very yeah. conversational. Very much. And, and I think it's intentional. intentionally, yeah. right? Totally. So it, it's Joe and Jay sitting at a, at, a, at a table having a coffee together. I'm like, dude, check out what I learned. And that's kind of the tone yeah. of the writing. It's not very professional, but I don't care. I want you to get it. I'm not here to impress you. I'm here to inform you. So I'm glad you picked up on that because that was very much on purpose. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you could just easily share it with anyone. And it's very, very easy to read. So Whoever is listening, our audience, I want them to go out and get a copy, first of all, and they can go out and experience um, all of your works. They can pick up um, Understanding Jesus. I would say start there, but definitely work your way into Jesus, Lee. Hmm. And then we're going to talk about some of those other book options that you've written. So about Jesus, Lee, the new book, and your writing style is, is, is something that I can relate to, because Good. even though I haven't written a book, uh, I do like writing. I have written some blog posts and I have um, mm. put together, obviously, so many sermons over the years and, and so many messages over the years. So when I, I can't really start a message 
until I really have a title narrowed down. Most of the time I start there and I work my way down, even though I know where I want to go, even though where mm -hmm. I feel the spirit is leading me, I start with the title. So let's start with your title, Jesus Lee. Where did that start? Yeah, well, first of all, I want to say that that's hilarious because I'm the exact same way. I, I can't even put really? pen to paper until I have my title and my subtitle set. That's the first thing I have yeah. to do. And then I go and I see if the... Yeah, that's not funny. It's just the way our brains work. And so then I go and I see if the domain is available. And then I go to Amazon to make sure there's no other book with that title because I always want to be original if I can. So that's the first yeah. thing. So I've been writing this book actually all throughout COVID. I wrote it twice before and I scrapped the projects. I'm like, nah, that's too, I'm trying to impress. I'm trying to be someone I'm not. I'm, I don't talk like that. Why would I wow. write like that? I actually scrapped it twice. I was so disappointed with what I'd written. Really? Yeah. And then in January of this year, 23, uh, my wife and I were in Jerusalem. It was our first time back after, after COVID. And we were, you know, just going around and getting reacquainted with the country after three years of being gone. And I started to write about, like, I closed my eyes. And then you could hear the traffic and the sounds of Jerusalem. And you could hear the Hebrew and the falafels being sold and the market raging and all that stuff. And I'm starting to get inspired. And so I wrote down the introduction. And that was it. Then I got back home and I said, you know what? I really want to talk about what does it mean to be like him? I've already written about, you know, who he was and, you know, what he actually said and what he meant. But what did he actually do? How did he treat people that he encountered? How did he engage with those yeah. who would see, you know, things completely opposite from him? Because my experience, I can't speak for you, is during COVID, I, I saw things online that Christians were posting I said, oh, don't tell people you're a Christian. Don't say that. No, like, that's not who he was. He never would have treated someone like that. I don't care who you think they are or what you believe about their life or this or that. And I remember being almost ashamed and hurt, like, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry that we're misrepresenting you. I wish the people that wow. we, including myself, would just, you know, treat people the way you did. And so when I thought about writing a book about what it meant to be more like him, you know, you're trying to come up with all these cool, catchy titles. And, you know, my wife yeah. took me back to our son when he was seven years old. And we were sitting around the table talking about this kind of a thing. And he didn't know what it meant to be Christ-like and to, you know, emulate his behavior. His little seven-year-old brain said, Daddy, people need to be more Jesus-ly, you know. And wow. that stuck in our family for the last, what, 18, 19 years. And we would joke with yeah. each other. Somebody cut you off in traffic and you were, was that Jesus Lee? You know, that was kind of our little yeah. inside joke. And so as we were talking about titles, you know, we're like, well, it's obviously, it's got to be Jesus Lee. And of course, didn't exist anywhere on Amazon. That word, Google says, are you trying to write this? I said, no, no, I mean Jesus Lee. And when yeah, I was no, dictating I mean. the book, <laughs> no, it's hilarious, yeah. dude. Um, Microsoft Word thought that Jesus was Asian. Let me tell you why. What? Every time I would say Jesus Lee, it would spell Jesus, and then L-E-E, -E, like Jesus Lee. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> no matter how many times I hit autocorrect. And so... You had to teach autocorrect how to really spell it. And it wasn't. It kept saying Jesus Lee, like he was first name and last name. It was the funniest thing. I'd have to go back and wow, change it like cool. hundreds of times throughout the manuscript. <laughs> but... <laughs> 
But yeah, so just, just that idea of being like him and, and then breaking it down into these three major right. people groups. So how did he treat people that we would say, oh, these are these are outcasts. We, we shouldn't be near them because of their lifestyle. And then we have all these outsiders, the Romans, they came from in. We sh- shouldn't accept them. And then they overlooked were, were the women of the Bible. You know, they were so overlooked in their culture and historically, you know, they have been overlooked. So how did Jesus treat these main three people groups? And I I would write with tears in my eyes because I would see how he treated them. And then I would look at how we were treating people groups and say, God, it's not what you yeah. told us to do. That's not what you modeled for us. I don't have to agree with you to love you. I can love you and still be in disagreement with you. And so just just kind of coming to that realization, and that that's the, the intent behind the title of the book, is to be more like Jesus. Yeah, that that's phenomenal, and I love that. And it, it jumped out of me. It jumped out to me right away. And, mm. and as I mentioned earlier in the in the conversation, I had I had gotten disconnected from your work, not by intention, but just because after I read Understanding Jesus, then obviously some months went by, some time mm-hmm. went by before you wrote your next book, and I never went back to follow up on on the next book that you wrote. So then, um, whenever I, I was out and about, just minding my own business. And all of a sudden I felt your name come into my heart. Whoa. And I said, what is, what is Joe Amaral up to right now? This is years later. <laughs> I, I came across understanding Jesus 12, let's see, 13, 14, about 2015, if I'm not mistaken. It was, it was oh, wow, about three okay. years after. So then uh, here recently, uh, around the time where I sent the invitation, I really, truly felt in my spirit, what is Joe Amaral up to? So I started looking you up. I started looking you up on social, started looking up a website. Mm-hmm. And I saw that you had 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 gone through so many great books. And I was like, man, I got to catch up. I got to catch up. <laughs> so that's exactly what I did. Went out and got the book. I read it. So that's how we ended up here. And true okay. story. True story. So I know for a fact amazing. that this is going to bless somebody. So I say that only to say this, that whenever I was reading the book, and I had I had taken my time to prepare for this to, uh, for this conversation for this day. Mm-hmm. So my son just the other night I was wrapping up some last bit uh, details, and my son sees me reading. He's like, "What you reading?" And he's always asking me. He's like, "What you reading?" And I said, "Well, this book, you know, it's uh, it's called Jesusly, and it, it's about embracing the outcast, the outsider, and the overlooked." I made it very simple. He's eleven. He's eleven. So okay. and he goes, "Huh." Yeah. So he, he, he just kind of, I, I saw that, that hum moment in him, that thinking <laughs> moment. And I just kind of waited. Yeah. So he goes, he goes, whenever you say that, whenever you said outcast and outsider, he goes, you want to know what the first thing that came to my mind? I was like, what's that? And he said the 10 lepers. Mm. And I was like, okay. I said, what about it? And so he started talking about it. And that just kind of like, he knew so much more about that than I realized that he knew about it. That's awesome. So that made me feel really, really good. But the, the, the 10 lepers, that would be exactly uh, an exact uh, example of, of what yeah. you're writing about, isn't it? Totally. I mean, they were outcasts. So they were, they, they were Jews by, by birth and by heritage, but they were still outcasts because of something they had, even something they couldn't help. Like, listen, this is who yeah. we are. We were born with this, or we co- contracted it when we were young. We can't get rid of it. 
And what's interesting in, in that passage is that, you know, he heals, you know, 10 lepers and he says, go show yourselves to the priest. And only one comes back. And the scripture is very careful and says that he was a Samaritan. Yeah. So he's an outcast and an outsider all in one. It just shows you like Jesus doesn't care about what society labels you or even how you label yourself. He goes, I see you. I know you. You can say whatever you want, who you are and what you are, but I know who you are. I made you and I love you. I I love the person that's in there. And so Jesus is constantly, he's he's crossing these social and religious barriers that no one would dare cross because you would lose the support of the temple and of the priests. And Jesus is like, I don't care about that. I care about people, not policy, not procedure, not politics. I care about people. And that's what, you know, I try to get across in the book. Yes, you need policies. You need all those things, but it's people first. And the moment you start putting policies and procedures over people, you've crossed over into into Phariseeism and you need to take your foot off the gas and kind of reassess, you know, what and why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. And you do that so phenomenally. You you communicate that exactly and to the T. And I think it was, I believe it was T.D. Jakes that I heard say, if Jesus would walk into one of our churches, he wouldn't recognize it. Mm -hmm. And in some churches he wouldn't, he wouldn't be allowed because he had a beard. I mean, what what does that say of, of us and who we're really following? <laughs> he had a beard. He hung out with most likely prostitutes and tax collectors and cheaters. And, you know, he said they're going to say the subtle man was a glutton and a drunk. Well, that tells you about the crowd he hung out with. But he said, guys, it's I'm glad you're well, but I came for the sick. I came for the dying. And you guys can judge me and you can do your thing, but I'm just going to go ahead and sit down with these people and share the love of God with them. And it's a wonderful example. We don't judge our friends who, you know, maybe think a little more righteous of themselves. We don't, I don't judge them. We don't put them down. We say, just don't let, don't stop right. me from loving people the way Jesus loved people. And so that's yeah. kind of the heart behind, behind the book. Absolutely. And in some cases, I mean, Jesus didn't know anything about, men's ministry or men's department, the, the woman ministry, <laughs> the, the young adults group. He didn't know anything about any of that. So that's really what the reference uh, stands, yeah. stands next to. So, and that's ac- absolutely true. So when you put the first book, Understanding Jesus, next to Jesus Lee, the newest one, what changed? Because you, you mentioned something about that in the new mm-hmm. one, that there is some differences, even though it's very factual, it's it's yeah. uh, filled and riddled with so, so much history and so many facts. Mm-hmm. So explain to us a little bit about the differences in your point of view from writing and what sure. was that and what changed? Well, I mean, I, I changed, you know, that, that first book was in 2000. I started writing it back in 2008, believe it or not. And I started collecting data for it. Wow. It wasn't until 2011 that we actually, you know, it got published. And so, I mean, we're talking like a long time ago. And the Joe Emerald of 2008 and the Joe Emerald of 2023 are, are different people. So so I've, I've grown uh, my approach to people, my approach to ministry. And I would say the main difference is, although Jesus Lee has information in it, like you're saying, there's still a lot of cultural background and there is that, it's got more of a pastoral heart behind this one. It's like, okay, you have all Mm. this information, that's great, but what are you supposed to do with it? How does that change the way you treat people? How does that change the way you, you see God? If it's just information and there's no transformation, then then I fail as an author. 
Yes, I want to inform you, but I want to inspire you to model his behavior. That's it. To go after people who feel unseen and go, I see you. Like I said, people have this thing, you have to agree. No, it's not about agreeing. It's about seeing people, taking them where they're at, building a relationship and a foundation that then gives me the privilege to be able to maybe poke a little further and have a deeper conversation. So I'd say the main difference is that it's not just information. It's, it's just more pastoral. Okay, now you know this. Go out and live that life. Go out and treat people yep. the way that Jesus treated. That would be the big difference in my opinion. And I know from writing that you can take a point of view from so many different options. And you've taken mm. a stance behind Luke. There, wh- yeah. Why is it specifically behind Luke that was so important that we needed to mm-hmm. hear from his point of view? Yeah. Well, Luke is, people don't, don't consider this sometimes, like Luke is a Gentile. In fact, he's the only Gentile author right. that we that we know of. So Matthew, Mark, and John are, are, are Jews writing to fellow Jews. So it's like I said earlier, there's things they don't include in their gospel because they don't have to, like the people of the time already w- would have understood and what to expect in the Messiah and all this kind right. of stuff. So there's stories, yeah. miracles, they don't even include because he knows, oh, if you saw Jesus do that, you know he's the Messiah. Well, Luke says, hey, we don't know any of that on this side of the fence. Hang on a second. So Luke records stories that no one else records. And it's fascinating, Jay, as you start to look at his writing style. Right. You know, a simple story like, like the tax collector Zacchaeus, such a transformative story of this man who's a tax collector and repents. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to his house. But right. that guy's an outside. He's an outcast. He's a Jewish man who's supporting the Roman regime that are stealing from the people and are beating on them and forcing you know, a new religion down their throats. And so the other guys don't include it because it's talking about somebody who's an outcast. And, and, right. and Luke is the one who tells us uh, about John's mother, Elizabeth. Nobody else does. Why? Because she's a woman. And so she's ranking lower on the social status of those times. And so they don't want to hear that. But Luke comes from the Greek background where women are you know, almost given equality. So he, he writes stories that no one else writes and he writes as he writes as a Gentile. So it's, it speaks to you. It speaks to me, somebody who's non-Jewish. And so like even the, the the thief on the cross, you know, the other writers say that Jesus was crucified between two thieves, but Luke's the only one who records the conversation. You know, here's this man at the end of his life, you know, and, you know, the day before Barabbas, who leads this insurrection, is he's sentenced to die and they release him instead of Jesus. And, you know, yeah. these two men on the cross are probably part of that whole thing. And they're judged by society. They're judged by religion. And he says to Jesus, like, remember me. Like, right. see me. Don't remember me for who I am in this moment, but remember who I used to be before I made that error in judgment. I made that mistake that led to this place. You know, and only Luke records that. And Jesus says, I'm going to be seeing a lot of you. In fact, starting today, yeah, we're going to spend eternity together. Oh, and I just want to weep as I, as I, you're right. It's just yeah. so precious and intimate. And Luke's the only one who records it because this guy is an outcast. We don't want to hear the story of an outcast being redeemed. We want to hear about the Pharisees and the righteous. But Luke says, no, he's the Messiah for everybody, not just for one people group. He's, he's beyond that now. The gospel is for everyone. And that's why I chose Luke and all the stories come from his gospel because of that perspective. Man, that's interesting. And I'm fascinated by that. And one of the things that you mentioned also is that Paul was uh, actually 
I take that back. I understood that Paul was one of the ones that wrote more of the New Testament. But then actually mm. you point out the fact that this was not necessarily true. So who in fact has the edge here? Yeah, Luke, like Paul, bar none, writes way more books than anybody else, but they're, but they're short letters. Right. But when you take the Gospel of Luke and, and then the account of Acts in terms of sheer volume, Luke emerges as the winner. And that surprises people because wow. everybody thinks it's Paul it does. because he wrote so many. But, they, but yeah. they were shorter, right? Just individual letters to churches and to people as where Luke does this sweeping, you know, historical account in the book of Acts. So he's the winner. <laughs> That is definitely a, a, an interesting fact and a, and a good nugget to hang on to along with so many others. So one of the go. things that you mentioned and you do so well is that uh, talking about the outcasts, the outsiders and treating people and overlooking people and mm -hmm. um, overlooking others. It, it seemed to be the norm in early Hebraic culture. It seemed to be just everyday mm -hmm. life. So during your research and what, what were some of the similarities uh, what similarities did you find versus our culture today versus how they did that and how we do that now even still? Yeah, that that, that people are still people. <laughs> we're still yeah. we're still selfish. We're still very clicky, clicky. We like to be around people who think like us, who look like us, who act like us, who choose like us, who vote like us, who eat like us. We've not changed very much. We have more technology and we have newer things, but at the very core, we're still a very, uh, we're still very similar. That that desire to judge anyone who doesn't look like or sound like me, and especially if they don't believe like me, I don't know that we can be friends. And we may not send them to an island yeah. like they used to back then. We may not like draw a line and say you stand on that side, but we do it in society, don't don't we? We we do it in politics. We do it in culture. And we even do it in, in the church. We do it in religion. And so I don't think people have changed very much at all. If Jesus came yeah. today, the people would look different, but he'd still go after those who are outcasts and outsiders and those who were overlooked. And I Absolutely. think we know what communities fit into those categories. Yeah. You know, as you were mentioning that, I, I thought of an interesting um experience that I had, it was on a Sunday mm. afternoon. It was Sunday evening. I had I preached that morning and I, I made it home. It was at the end of the day. I was kind of unwinding. I was watching actually some Sunday night football and I received a phone call and um, that phone call is just completely unexpected. So mm. on the other side was a lot of questions that I did not expect. And that just kind of led to, as the conversation progressed, it, it, he, he told me, He's like, you know what? What I realized is that Judas ate too. He, Judas was at mm -hmm. the table also. And Judas was with Jesus also. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's exactly right. And I was like, you know what? I said, he got his feet washed also. Mm -hmm. And and in that that's conversation good. just completely became very, very vulnerable, very transparent. And I, I felt that person be very, very convicted in that moment and, and began mm. to cry and began to get very emotional and, and get touched by, by God's presence. And then just really be convicted Beautiful. by, wow. by the way that we are and by the way that the Bible says to be more Jesusly in the way that you put it in the book. <laughs> so what could be one of those things that we, that help us to become more Jesusly? And what does that look like today going forward? 
I mean, it's a really big question because it's you know, the easy answer is to say, oh, just to be more like Jesus. Yeah, but w- what does that mean? Yeah. I mean, our, our society is so polarized, especially when it comes to certain you know, issue, issues, individuals. I think, what, what if my children was one of those people that were considered to be an outcast or an outsider or somebody who was overlooked? I'm like, Lord, how would I want people to treat you know, my son or daughter? I, that would be kind of the the the, the ground or, or the framework for how I would want to treat other people. So yeah. I, it's a really hard question to answer because, like I said, the blanket statement is, oh, just be more like him. But it's I, – I, I know what I want to say without preaching a 40-minute you know, sermon on, on how to do it. It's yeah. just everybody wants to be seen. Everybody wants to be recognized. Like I, I, I exist. I, I, I matter. And Jesus had that knack of just of pushing things to the side, pushing back past the nonsense and the fireworks and all the crazy that was going on. And say, hey, let, let, let's let's sit down. I want to have supper with you. I, I want to get to know you. And so, getting to right. know the people that we would disagree with, getting to know people who would be on you know the other side of issues that we would argue about. Once you get to know a person, it's really hard not, it's hard to hate people once you get to know them, once you begin to understand their mindset and go, oh, that's why you think that way. Well, this is why I think this way. And Jesus always promotes dialogue. And if we can get talking to the people that we disagree with, if we can get talking to the people that we see as outcasts, it's hard to dislike somebody once you get to know them. I've had this happen where I've heard stuff about a person. I've walked in with an attitude right away going, oh, I'm not going to like this person. And then we yeah. sit down over like a two, three day conference. I'm like, oh, wow, they're actually really nice. Why did I even think that about them? Yes. Oh, because they said that. Well, how about we get to know people for ourselves if it's possible? We can't get to know everybody. Right. But I've had that happen in my life where th- those barriers get broken away once you start to get to know people. So get to know people who are different than you. That's what Jesus did. That's what he modeled. Yeah, Joe, you know what? I had a very, very similar experience for the first time that okay. I went to, I got invited to to preach at a youth camp in, in Honduras. And I went there, the people are just phenomenally so friendly, but there was this one mm. gentleman that was part of their team and part of their uh, the leaders that were organizing, but very serious, very formal. And I'm an introvert, to be honest with you. I don't know if people okay. can tell, people that know me know that, but I'm not the first to speak. <laughs> And I, I, I'd rather listen than to speak. So to be able to do this okay. platform, uh, side note, is, is a challenge for <laughs> me, but spirit-led for sure. So mm. when I got there, I noticed this man was very, very serious, very, didn't smile much at all. And I was like, man, what's wrong with this guy? To be, I'm going to be very open and very, very honest. Sure. Like, what's wrong with this? Dude? Like, why is he so serious? You know, like, like we're here with young people. We're here, you know, doing, doing the kingdom work and like, you should be joyful. Like, what's wrong? And I was like, okay, well, maybe he's just like that, right? Long story short, by the end of the camp, we had gotten so close. Mm. And I remember exactly when that shifted. It was when we began to talk in one of the yeah. inner, inner, um, one of the breaks that we had, one of the intermissions that we had uh, in the middle of the day, we had lunch before we went back to another session. We got to talk and some of the leaders just kind of gathered around and he was asking questions and questions and questions. And by far, do I have all the answers? I do not have all the answers, mm-hmm. but I was sharing my experiences, my walk sure. with God. So that was a transition there, but you're so right. Whenever you start asking questions, you start talking to people and you start mm. 
of really getting to know them, my perspective changed. And by the end of the day, we we're taking pictures together. We were talking, yeah. exchanging information. Hey, let's keep, let's keep uh, in contact with they each died. other. Yeah, but you're yeah. so right. This is what we see Jesus do, man. You know, everybody's like, what? Are, like Jesus is starting to get some momentum and he's getting the crowds follow him. And then he makes a decision to go into a certain house and the disciples are saying, Lord, don't you know what's going to happen if you go in there? Like people are going to start talking smack about you. You're going to lose followers. You're going to start yeah. losing yeah. your momentum. And that's when he said, uh, I'm here for the sick. And so it doesn't matter what people say, man, just you can't go wrong in loving a person, like really just taking the time to get to know them. At the end of the day, you still might not agree on everything, but they'll say, wow, that Jay guy, that Joe guy, he actually listened to me. He sat down with me. And that, that, that hits with people more than we think it does. You're so right. You're so right. And that's something that I'm, that I'm still continuing learning to do. And because there's information that I want to share with the person that I want to be able mm-hmm. to speak, but sometimes I feel restricted. It's like, no, no, like, let the spirit do the work. Like, you don't have to say anything. You're not changing the person. I feel convicted that way. And it's like, just listen, just listen. And by the end of the right. conversation, if it's, if it's um, like a counseling or a mentoring type of conversation, most of the time, or in many cases, the person that asked the questions will answer their own question just by simply mm-hmm. speaking it out and me listening. It's like, I didn't do anything. I did nothing. I just simply listened and then they felt better afterwards. And in some cases, of course, you know, you add your touch to it, but most of it is right. listening. Yeah, it makes a big difference listening for sure, man. You've uh, experienced that as well, you know, in, in pastoring and, and mentoring and talking to people and working with so many different Absolutely, types of cultures. Man. Absolutely. You know, like I said, at the end of the day, people want to be heard. They want to be seen. That, that's the bottom line. We all do. Right. So there's one question that I really wanted to ask you before I let you go. And I know you've done a number of podcasts. You've done a number of interviews. You've you've been um, a number of times. You've actually been a host and a co-host on the 100 Huntley Street. And you've been on as a guest as well. So at the end, we'll share some links where people can find that. And we'll put that in the description where people can actually link to you and all the work that you're involved with. But one of the things that I really wanted to ask was what question would you like to be asked or what is it that you haven't been asked regarding your books, your research that no one has asked you before that you said, I'd like to go there. I'd like to share that. Mm -hmm. Well, you're asking the question, but we we answered it earlier, which was really cool. And nobody's really gone into that was what's, what's your process in, in, in writing? How do you, like I've, I've been privileged to sit down with guys who are like giants, right, in the writing world who have sold millions of books. And the first thing is I'm like, how do you write? Like, how do you take this idea you have in here and you transform it into 40, 50, 60,000 words? Like, how do you know where to put the words and how does it all make sense to you? So I love hearing about authors' processes, whether it's written word, musicians, like, you know, I, I travel with Striper and different bands. Like when you wrote that song, how did you know it was going to be a hit? How did you put that together? So I love being asked about the process and no one's ever done that. And we did that. So you answered your own question before you even asked it. That's how good you are. <laughs> well, thank you for that. And that that's pretty awesome. And that's actually the first time that I've you know had that happen. But I, I love that. So cool. along with that, cool. you've had so many, so many visits to to israel and i know that it's probably hard to remember all of them uh maybe you do uh 50 uh, nearly 50 about 48 you yeah. mentioned 
mm-hmm. visits to Israel. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's over 10,000 hours of research. Yeah. Is that yeah. correct? Over 10,000 hours yeah, of 10 research. 10 hours and 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That, that is, that is tremendous. So my question simply is after so, so much time digging in and after so many visits, what continues to drive your interest in continuing to learn, continuing to dig into the Hebraic culture, mm-hmm. continuing to visit Israel? What keeps you doing it? Sure. Well, in terms of, you know, of learning, uh, just, hearing people's stories about, hey, man, I read your book. And and when you said that, and you brought this new light to that verse, that brought me so much peace or released me from something I was holding on to. So knowing that in 50 years from now, like I'm going to be gone, right? And the books are still going to be here. Like it's this passive immortality. It's like, long after I'm gone, something I wrote can still help somebody who's struggling with their faith or with their walk with God. So that that's a real driving force for me saying, Lord, I don't want to just impact this generation, but I, I have the ability to impact future generations with, with the written word. So that inspires me that way. And in terms of going to the land of Israel, listen, I'll be honest with you. I've been to Jerusalem hundreds and hundreds of times. I know Jerusalem better than I know downtown Toronto or New York. I mean, by far. And sure, it can get old. It, it can get old, you know, seeing this, seeing that. But when I take people for the first time, and they're like, "Jesus died here. He preached a sermon here. This is where he called his first disciples." And just seeing the looks in their eyes when they have that first encounter experience, I kind of live vicariously through them in that moment, even though I've seen it like a hundred times. Yeah. So yeah. that, that's kind of what keeps me going is living that first experience again through my, my tourist eyes, for sure. That's awesome. I love that. And to be able to relive that, um, that I'm sure that is a special moment. Live that to relive, relive it through other people. Yeah. And yeah. that also speaks to your love, your passion and the level of your leadership, because you could easily said, well, I've done it already. I've done it so many times. People can come over. We can talk about it. I can write about it. But <laughs> your willingness and, and your openness to include people and to continue not only sharing through books, through, through your website, through podcasts, mm-hmm. but doing it in person. So you guide tours also, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I lead all the tours that I take for sure. And so like we'll, we'll do the Bible teaching on location. And that's one of my favorite things to do. Okay. So, you know, we'll crack open Matthew 16. Right. Hey guys, we're standing at Caesarea Philippi, but Matthew doesn't, he doesn't describe what Jesus is seeing. So look, this is what he saw. And I explain it and give context. Oh, and when you have the, oh, when you hear that, you're like, there you go. It was worth the 11 hour flight, you know? Yeah, that's it. That's it. So after understanding Jesus, you got stars in the sky, you got get off your ash. And, mm-hmm. and I want to pronounce that SH very clearly because so they hit that, that hard. The <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get off your ash. So, and then you came Jesus sleep, the act of being like Jesus, the newest book. So what lies mm-hmm. ahead for Joe Amaral? Is there any upcoming projects outside of writing that you would like to share with us or people can connect with you on? Sure. Um, well, there's a couple of things in the works. Like right now I'm, I'm co-writing uh, a men's uh, 40 day devotional for men. Um, I don't think I'm okay. supposed to say the name yet because they haven't said all of that. But yeah, okay. it's a 40 day devotional okay. that I'm co-writing with a good friend of mine. And it, it's and awesome. it's directed to men. You know, what you know, like just how to walk with God. 
And then I have a new historical, another, you know, kind of like Jesus Lee style research book in the works uh, okay. right now that I'm hoping to have done uh, for Christmas. So, awesome. so, so there's that. Uh, the best way to stay in touch, honestly, it's social media, right? I mean, on Facebook, yeah. it's Joe Amaral Public, right? Personal page, right. you don't want to see me eat muffins and all that boring stuff. Go to Joe Amaral Public, and that's where I post about my travels, you know, like where I'm preaching a pastor's conference in Fiji, you know, later in the year. I'm going back to Africa in a couple months. I'm going back to Israel, you know, soon. And so if people want to kind of track with the adventure and live vicariously through me, that's probably the best way to do it is through social media. And all of the books, just go to Amazon, type in Joe Amaral, and you'll see those five books come up for sure. We're definitely going to put a link to your website in, in the description, in the show notes. And we're going to put uh, links you. to the Amazon uh, link so people can go out and buy the book. And I would really, really encourage you, you. You have to have this book. Like I said, if you teach and you preach, this is just a staple. It, it It's a must have. That would be mm -hmm. my description of, of the book. It's a must have, especially if you teach, you preach, you, you share the mm -hmm. word. If you're doing Bible studies, if you're sharing anything about Jesus, you have got to get these books. And it's, it's that important. And, and like I said, and it, it's almost cliche to say it's life changing, but it was life changing. <laughs> So uh, you're also involved with uh, tours and on your website, people can sign up and people can purchase mm -hmm. uh, tours with you. Is that correct? Uh, to Israel, yeah. guided by you? Yeah. So in, in 24, so this year's full, in 2024, I have, one, two, I have four tours going to Israel. Uh, I think right now the most space is in January. In February, I'm taking 92 fans of Striper and the whole band to the what? Holy Land, dude. Yeah, what? yeah. Yeah, it's the first time none That's of them crazy. have ever been to Israel. They're they're pumped to go. So we're taking the whole band, their spouses and ninety something fans. We're all gonna go over. But yeah, if you go to the to the link below to the Joe Amrell page and click on tours, there's four. And you can fly in from anywhere in the world and just meet us, you know, at the airport in Tel Aviv and join the tour. You don't have to come through Toronto. And then in twenty five, we're also doing some other interesting, you know, themed tours as well. And not There'll be a little more information about that. But I lead all the tours. You have to have a tour guide. That's the law in Israel for insurance purposes. And they'll give you all the history and the geography. But then they'll stand aside and let me come in with the Bible and do all the actual Hebraic roots teaching. And so people will get that for sure. Man, that is awesome to to be able to see all of that. Post about that on social and your stories. And I'm definitely oh, yeah. going to be keeping keep in touch uh, with you there and, and keeping tabs and um, experiencing it through through their point of view and, and what you share. <laughs> so one of the things that you're also involved with is uh, Liberia. Liberia. So hope yep. for Liberia. So what is it yep. exactly about and uh, how can others support there? Yeah, so most Times I get asked, I said, why do you have an American flag in the background, right? That's what everybody asks me. Uh, okay. It's not a U.S. flag. It's actually, it's the flag of Liberia. And Liberia was founded by freed slaves from the U.S. after the Civil War, and they went back to Africa. So there's a big connection with Liberia and, and, and the U.S. because of, of its history. Um, the, the real short version is that in April of 2019, I was invited by a pastor to go speak there. And, you know, he really wasn't selling it. You know, it's a it's a post-Civil War country uh, filled with corruption and no infrastructure and it's dangerous and there's no running water or electricity. It's really just like a post kind of a war zone country. 
And the worse he made it sound, the more I wanted to go. I just kind of wanted to go see what this place was like. And like I said, to make a very long story short, God just broke my heart for for the nation. You know, uh, seeing poverty on Facebook is one thing or on YouTube, but standing in the middle of yeah. it, living it, breathing yeah. it in, tasting it, it, it's an entire different experience. And I said, God, we've got to do something for this nation, for these people, they're living without hope. And so hope for Liberia was born out of this desire to bring hope first and foremost through the gospel, because that's what brings hope to people in this life and the one to come. But then in a very practical way, what does it mean to bring hope to people? You know, I've also said that people's ears don't work as well when their stomachs are empty because they can't focus on what you're saying. Jesus loves you, but he's letting you starve. Well, how how does that work? We fill their stomachs. We give them food. We give them music. We have a wonderful time. And then we're able to share the the gospel with them. So Hope for Liberia is, you know, we we believe in education. We we, we have a 30-acre farm that we're growing, you know, rice and corn and all kinds of stuff to feed the people locally. And just so they can be sustainable, we have a five acre piece of property that we built a brand new community, the community of hope. You know, we built a church, we have a school with 300 kids. And right now, as we speak, we're just getting ready to finish off our orphanage in the community. Um, uh, 50% of women in the country die from childbirth. So there's a lot of orphans. There's a lot of really, really difficult situations. And so Hope for Liberia is stepping up to build this orphanage to take in as many kids as we can. And people can go to hopeforliberia.com and they can learn more about, you know, what we're doing and how they can get involved if they choose to. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And we're also going to link to that in the description where people can find that easily and connect with you as well. And just before I let you go, I just, I, I must say that the ending of the book of Jesus Lee, the very, very ending, and it's actually the clo- mm. the conclusion, the closing remarks, the conclusion of the book is is worth the entire thing. And um, I, I must say that I, I got very emotional towards the end, mm. very, very emotional. I finished the book and I had to just stop for a minute and just think I was so, so convicted, first of all, personally, mm. of, of really honoring God the way that you explain in the book to do so the way you lead us to do it in the book. Obviously we follow the Bible. We follow, you know, everything that the word says, but the way that you describe and you close this book out made me very, very emotional and Mm. I'm not going to ruin it. I'm not going to share it with, with everyone. They're just going to have to go read for themselves because it has to be a personal uh, conviction. It has to be a personal emotion. So all I'm going to say, I'm going to give a teaser. I got to give a teaser. First (laughs) Corinthians chapter 13 and verse one has a completely different meaning. And then there's another scripture that I'm not going to share. They're just going to have to go and get the book, but it's in Matthew that you share to close out the book. And it just kind of just put the, the, the final stamp mm. on, mm. on the book. And, and honestly, I, I, I finished the book. I closed it. I stopped for a minute. I prayed. Um, yeah. I, I, I just kind of experienced that moment and, and I let God work in me. And I went and talked wow. to my wife. <clears throat> I went and talked to my wife. I said, I finished the book. And um, I, I can't wait for this interview. I can't wait for this conversation. I know it's going to be special. Yeah. And, and, and I said, I, I, I'm struggling to get my words out. And I'm, I'm honestly getting emotional right now talking about it because I still feel that. Yeah. But I, I shared with her what I was feeling in that moment. And I, and I said, look at what he shares here. And that, again, was life-changing and just finished off with, with a bang. 
and that, oh, that yeah. was awesome, and I loved it. Thank God. Thank God. That's all I can say. I can't take any credit. You know, he gives you the words, and, you know, if he's given me any kind of a gifting, it's just to say what he has said. And so, yeah, like you've already mentioned, I'm hoping that people will get a hold of it, not for sales, not for promotion, but for change. The church needs to become, we need to get back to being more like Jesus and just forget the nonsense of today and whatever's going on in the world or in your country. Just put that all to the side and say, Lord, help me to see people, you know, not, not, not parties, not, not organizations. Help me to see people first, Lord. And if we could do yeah. that, I'm telling you, it's going to it's gonna change our community. It's going to change our nation once we start to see and love people the way he did. And that's the heart. And thank you for sharing that testimony with me as, you know, as a writer. That's so encouraging to know that the words God gives you can have an impact on somebody, you know, thousands of miles away. So that's, that's awesome. Thanks for blessing me with that. I appreciate it, Jay. All the way to South Texas here in, in Houston. It, yeah. it has been a pleasure and an honor to have you, Joe Amro. And and I hope and I pray that we continue the relationship that I, I feel like there's a friendship that began. I think here. so. And I feel it, man. And and I really hope that, that we um, continue connecting and I'm looking forward to your continuous work, your continuous research, and I'm here for it. Thank you for being on with us today and being so gracious with your time. Thanks for having me, bud. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for being part of our conversation today. In the description below, you will find links where you can connect with Joe Amro. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss out on anything. Also, if you would like to contribute in helping us reach others, I invite you to do so simply by leaving a good rating. You can leave a review or even share it on social media. And that would mean so much to me. And in the meantime, I'd love to hear from you. In the description below, you will find the links where we can connect. Let me know how this was helpful to you. You can also visit my blog page where you can find more helpful content like this at inspired2inspire.org. That's inspired, the number two, inspire.org. For now, continue moving forward in the direction God is leading you. Continue taking steps closer and becoming who God has intended you to be so you can be impactful in every area of your life. God bless, and we'll see you on the next one.